You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Father in heaven, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge the power that you demonstrated in raising Jesus from the dead. And this is an event that happened 2,000 years ago, the incredible resurrection of the Son of God. But it's it's happening here and now, Lord. It's not just an event in history. It's an event that changes our very lives. It makes sense of our past. It's something that we experience in our present. And it's something we look forward to in the future. that we will be resurrected and even now we are walking in newness of life we thank you we praise you God if there's anyone here who is not experiencing that yet who has not come to know you Lord I pray that they would leave today being changed being transformed by the reality of Jesus the Son of God crucified in our place God we love you we thank you as we open your word now would you speak to us God would you speak so clearly and unquestionably God we love you and thank you in the name of your son if you agree say amen amen hey before you take your seat why don't you grab someone by the hand give them a big smile say he is risen wish them a happy easter let's do that now change Uh, infomercials guarantee it a politician's promise it Uh, some of us thrive on it Uh, others of us feel more threatened by it. it it's change The reality of Jesus crucified, buried, and raised again changes everything. It changes our lives. It changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we look at our past and our present and what we're expecting in the future. This changes everything. And if you have a Bible with you today, we're going to be looking at how Jesus talked about how he came to change our very lives. And you can open up your Bible to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. We're, a, we're sort of a portable church. This is an hour of space. We're thankful to have the opportunity to rent this gym. And we don't have pews or pew Bibles. We just have awesome ushers. And so if you don't have a Bible in your hand, just raise your hand up and find John chapter 10. We really want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along. Now there's so much here in John chapter 10, but what I really want to zero in on is three statements that Jesus makes about life. He's come to to clarify here in John chapter 10 that he's come to change our lives, and there's three places in John 10 where he makes that abundantly clear. If you look with me at John chapter 10, beginning at verse 10, we'll just pick it up right in the middle there. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us abundant life. If you're taking notes today, you can jot that down right off the bat. Jesus came to give abundant life. Life. Now, there's something that he's implying in saying why he came. He came to give us abundant life. So the implication that that he's laying out there is that our lives are not abundant. In fact, before he says abundant life, he says, I came that they might have life. And all of us are living life, but Jesus says that the life that we're living is not truly life. 
It's a, it's a failed substitute. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life, may look at life, may have a changed life, and have it abundantly. I've got to ask you, does your life feel full? Is your life abundant? The Greek word there is, is, is perisos. It means, it means superfluous. It means beyond expectations. It, it, it means beyond measure, overflowing. Is that your day-to-day experience from the mundane tasks or the highs and the lows of our lives? Are you living your life abundantly? You see, Jesus is revealing to us that there is an inherent emptiness inside every single human being. You may have a full schedule, that doesn't mean you have a full life. You may have a full bank account, you may not have a full life. You may look forward to having a full stomach this afternoon feasting with your family. But none of that points to having a full life. Jesus is saying here that we need something. We need him. Him to give us life and to give us life abundantly. Blaise Pascal, who was a 17th century inventor and physicist and mathematician and philosopher who had become a master in just about every academic area, recognized something about every single human being, and he really just built on what Jesus says here in John 10.10. He recognized this need for abundant life. Listen to what Pascal said. He said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the Creator. He says that inside every single heart there is a vacuum. There is a giant gaping hole that just eats up whatever we try to put in there. And Pascal says anytime we try to fill that hole with a created thing, we still feel incomplete. It disappears into the vacuum. It's so vast, it's so immense that none of these small created things have any chance or any hope of giving us that fulfillment. We have this creator-sized crater in our soul that only a relationship with God can fulfill. We may try to fill our lives with work or stuff or family or politics or academics or pleasure or partying or even religion and still feel empty. And Jesus compassionately looks at us and looks at our lives and says, there's something about your life that needs to change. Your life isn't truly life. Your life isn't being lived abundantly. Your life needs to be transformed from emptiness to abundance. And Jesus came to, to uh, bring closure and to, and to bring the next chapter in the story that God had been unfolding throughout human history and throughout the pages of the Bible. You see, human beings didn't always have this hole in our heart. When God created the universe in the book of Genesis, he created everything good. He created the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and there was no hole in their heart. Their heart was full because they were living in a right relationship with God. And then the serpent slithered into the garden and tried to turn them away from God. And they disobeyed God. They disobeyed his commands. Rather than doing things God's way, they went off and did things their way and carved out that crater that could only be filled by the creator. And that's why Jesus in verse 10 talks about the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about that serpent in the garden. He's talking about what the Bible calls Satan. 
And you may be here today and you're like, okay, I came to an Easter service with my friend or my family member or my neighbor or whatever. I don't even believe in God. I definitely don't believe in Satan. Well, listen, if you don't believe in God, you need to understand that God is very grieved by that because God loves you and because God desires to have a relationship with you. And you can't have a relationship with someone you don't know. But just so you know, Satan doesn't care if you believe in him or not. He's called a thief here in verse 10. You don't bump into someone at downtown Toronto and they say, good afternoon, I am a thief. I am here to pick your, po- your pocket. Yoink, have a nice day. The thief thrives on not being known, not being expected. And, and Satan's totally fine to live and operate. He's operating full force in our secular society. Satan lives on the six o'clock news. All of the destruction and the death and the despair and the dysfunction. He's, he's the thief. He's stealing, he's killing, and he's destroying. And no one has an answer for it, but the Bible does. It's because of the thief. It's because of Satan. And it's because of the gaping hole in each and every one of our hearts. You see, what goes wrong with us is we try to fill that, that hole with other things. And that leads to incredible dysfunction, despair, and death all around us. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promises abundant life. Some of us think that if you were to become a Christian or to become a follower of Jesus, that you would be somehow restricting your life. Like Jesus just wants to put you in some sort of scriptural straitjacket and make sure that no one's having too much fun. That's not what Jesus came to do. That's not how Jesus lived his life. He lived an abundant life and he came to give us not a life that's restricted, but a life that is overflowing and abundant. Jesus came to change our lives and to make them more fruitful, more meaningful, more purposeful. He came to take our emptiness and to change it. He came to change our lives to abundance. Then he goes on in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Notice how Jesus uses the definite article there. He doesn't say that he is a good shepherd. He says that he is the good shepherd. You see, all throughout the Bible, God calls himself a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And all throughout the Bible, God's depicted as this shepherd. But leaders of God's people were also called shepherds. David, the great king, is called shepherd. Moses, who led them out of Egypt and gave them the Ten Commandments. Moses is also called the shepherd. And then all throughout the history of God's people, you have these leaders being called shepherd. But as the pages of, of God's word unfold, the shepherds continue to fail. They don't reach the expectations. No one can lead and provide and protect and guide the way that God does. And so then the prophets start predicting that God one day is going to come himself and shepherd the people. And he is going to be the one who is going to lead them and protect them and provide for them. And so the people of God were always looking in anticipation. When is God going to come and shepherd us. We've had these merely human kings and priests and rulers, and they've all failed. When is God going to come and finally put things right? And that's why Jesus so profoundly here says, I am the good shepherd. He is saying that I am the one that you have all been longing for. And the, the prophets also predicted that this shepherd would be struck. 
also predicts that this shepherd who was there to lead the sheep, that he himself was going to be led away to the slaughter. And that's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And here's the second statement Jesus makes about life. He said that we, he's come to give us abundant life, and he's also come to give his life. Jesus came for one purpose and for one purpose only. He came to lay down his life for us. And the only way that Jesus can give us abundant life is for him to give us his life. You see, there is something that's stopping us from filling that God-shaped vacuum. It wasn't just as simple as Jesus coming down to earth and telling every single human being, you have a hole in your heart, meet God, he will fulfill it, and the story is over. It wasn't that simple. You see, the Bible describes something called sin, and sin is our disobedience towards God. Just like Adam and Eve said, we don't need you, God, we're going to go and do our own way. All of us are just like our ancestors. All of us have turned away from God and rebelled against him. The thing that, the thing that happened, though, is that when Adam and Eve turned away from God, they were turning away from the author of life, the source of life. When you turn away, when you break the relationship with the one who gives life, the result is death. And so Adam and Eve died. And everyone else in human history died. I'm not sure if you've seen the latest stats on the mortality rate. It's 100%. We all die. And the reason why we all die is because we all sin. All of us have broken our relationship with God. We've turned to God and said, I don't want to do things your way. I want to do things my way. That's why Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus isn't speaking hypothetically, I would die for you. No, he's, he's explaining the mission that he is on. He has come to deal with death. And the only way to deal with death was to deal with sin. Because it's sin that stops us from having a relationship with God. From having that creator-sized crater inside of each of our souls filled with God. It's sin that is stopping that from taking place. So if you look at, down at verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes it from me. The it that he's talking about is his life. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down. You see, some people misunderstand what happened to Jesus. They think he was just some traveling, you know, hippie with a couple of good one-liners, and people started following him, and then things got... Uh, all confused and people got jealous and then the Romans got involved and he ended up on a cross. It was just this big sort of accident that Jesus was a, was a martyr. It never should have been that way. No, Jesus says, I laid down my life. He said, I have authority to lay down my life. Listen, this wasn't an accident. This was, this was a plan that was premeditated. This was something that, that Jesus allowed to happen. He said he laid down his life. If you read the New Testament, they were always trying to kill him. Like seriously, Luke chapter 4, they try to throw him off a cliff. A couple of times in John, they try to arrest him. They try to throw stones at him to kill him. And Jesus keeps eluding their grasp. 
It wasn't until finally you come to the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus is like, okay, finally, cuff me. Now's my time. I'm laying down my life. Even when Jesus was on the cross, listen, it wasn't, it wasn't the bleeding that killed Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the suffocation, which is how actually a person dies when they are crucified. Jesus laid down his life. It says in John 19.30 that he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He, he had the authority to lay down his life. He wasn't just a misunderstood martyr. He came as a very purposeful, intentional sacrifice for sin. He says that I lay down my life for the sheep. He died instead of us. When he was hanging and bleeding on the cross, he was choosing to be there because of his great love for us. And he was taking the punishment that all of us deserve for the sinful things that we have done, for the sinful things that we have said, for the sinful thoughts that we have thought, all of those things. Jesus was bearing the weight of the penalty, the death, that all of us deserve. That's what Jesus did for us. He came to give us his life. But the story doesn't end there. They, they took him down from the cross after he gave up his spirit. After he said, it is finished. And then they laid him in a tomb. And then three days later, the stone is rolled away and Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down. In verse 18, he says, I have authority to take it up again. He had authority to be raised from the dead, to raise himself, to take his own life up. This is the incredible authority that Jesus had. You see, if if Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, we'd all be kind of less left guessing. Is it really finished? Did he really die for us? Was his death an actual substitution? Did it work? Did the check clear? But when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that the finished is finished. And we're not having that nervous moment at the Interact machine waiting for the, the transaction approved. It has been approved that Jesus has made forgiveness possible for us. When Jesus said, I've come to give abundant life, he was saying that we are empty and we need to be made full. When Jesus said, I've come to give my life, he's saying that we are guilty and we need to be forgiven. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything because it gives us the assurance that we have been forgiven, that we don't have a he loves me, he loves me not relationship with God. But we know that he is for us and that he has forgiven us and nothing can ever change that. Jesus came to give his life. Warren Wiersbe describes Easter as Jesus' voluntary death and his victorious resurrection. It changes everything. This is what changes despair to hope. It changes darkness to light. It changes defeat to victory. It changes death to Life. This changes everything. You, you can't, there can't be a bigger change than dead and then alive. That's about, as, that's about as drastic as a change as you can possibly have. And that is what Jesus has done for us. Because of sin, 
every human being will die physically and spiritually in this life and the next. You live, you live this life separated from God, you will live the next life separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, you may die physically, but you will never die spiritually. You are alive spiritually right now, and nothing will ever change that. You are living with a relationship with God, and you will continue on in a relationship with him. Now, you're probably listening and trying, trying to make sense. Maybe these are things that you've heard many times before. Maybe it's been a while since you've heard these things. Maybe all of this is completely new. And you're trying to make sense of, okay, so Jesus said that. And am I supposed to take him seriously? And how does that actually apply to my life? And how does this actually, how does this actually work? What are, the, what are the, the consequences or the implications be, be, beyond what Jesus is saying? And if you're having that kind of conversation in your mind, you need to understand that the people who were listening to Jesus say this for the first time were having the exact same questions. If you look at verse 19, it says, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The context here is that Jesus had just made a blind man see in the previous chapter. And notice there's two camps. One, one group of people are saying he either, he's evil, he has a demon. How could he speak like that? How could he say he has that kind of authority? How could he claim to be the shepherd? How could he claim to be God? He must be an evil person. Or he must be a lunatic. Listen, he can't be held responsible for the things that he's saying because the things that he's saying, they're so outlandish. So that was the one group of people. The other group of people was saying, listen, you can't argue with the miracles that he's performing. You gotta notice here that in Jesus' day, there were two options. In 2016, political correctness has kind of created this third option. This sort of, pat the Christian on the head option that says, that's really good for you. I'm glad that you're finding fulfillment in your religious life and I'm sure Jesus has a lot of great things to say. He's a good moral teacher. And we've created sort of this third option where we think we can be neutral towards Jesus. We don't hate him. We don't try to stop him or stop our friends from loving him or following him. We're just... Neutral, we're just distant, we're aloof, cautious, but not committed. And that's an option that we think is viable, but that option really doesn't make any sense. Think about how C.S. Lewis uh, describes this. C.S. Lewis was the author of the Narnia books and many, many other insightful books. He was a professor at Oxford. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. That's right there from John 10 verse 19, saying that he has a demon or saying that he is insane. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, you must make your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. You can't be neutral towards Jesus Christ. You can't just lump him in with all of the other founders of different religions. Because Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to die on purpose and by his own authority to resurrect himself from the dead three days later. If your neighbor came knocking on the door and told you, I just wanted to let you know that I'm divine. I just thought I'd share that with you. I am God incarnate. If your neighbor stood on your porch and said that, I'm sure you'd shut the door a little bit a little bit closer, and then if he said, and I'm going to die, but don't worry, three days later, I'm going to come climbing out of the grave. I think the door would get shut even tighter. Would you tell all your other neighbors, hey, this is a guy worth listening to. Would you pat them on the head if they started meeting at his house and worshiping him, would you say, oh, that's fine for you, good for you? No, you would say, that person is insane. There's no middle ground. And don't think that you can just be neutral towards Jesus. He doesn't leave you that option. And notice how the people who did believe in him, at the end of verse at the end of verse 21, it says, Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, if that neighbor of yours started per to perform miracles, you might actually have to take a close look at what he had to say. And the people in those days couldn't deny that Jesus was performing miracles. Now, some people like to say that the miracles of Jesus were just added on, you know, centuries later. Now that, that's simply not true. The, the gospels that we have in the New Testament were written within the same generation that, that Jesus walked on this earth. And the gospel writers in the New Testament weren't the only people to record histories about Jesus. In fact, Josephus, who was a non-Christian historian living at the time of Jesus, wrote about Jesus that he performed miracles. So even the people who didn't believe in him couldn't deny the fact that he performed these miracles. So he's making these outlandish statements. He's performing miracles to back it up. And the greatest miracle he performed was laying down his life and taking it up again. Jesus came to give abundant life. He came to give us his life so that we could be forgiven. And then if you look down at verse 27, here's the third thing Jesus says about life. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus gives eternal life. He came to give eternal life. He's talking again as the shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And this, listen, we're, we're really bringing things to a close here. I want to invite the, the worship team to come up and to prepare us to respond. But I want, I want to be abundantly clear. Some of you know me, some of you don't know me. 
when I try to get ready to talk about the Bible to a group of people, my main concern, my main prayer that I ask God to do is that people would not hear my voice. That they wouldn't hear the voice of Ted Duncan, but that they would hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you weren't expecting anything really to happen. You were just expecting just to kind of get your neighbor to stop bugging you to come to church. But maybe you're here today and you're actually hearing a voice. You're hearing a voice that's actually strangely familiar. It's like you've heard it before. And that's because Jesus Christ has been speaking to you personally for your whole life. His voice has been coming at you as loud and as clear as possible. The question is, is have you been listening? First and foremost, he speaks to us through his creation. You can't deny the beauty and the complexity of all that is around us on this glorious planet, let alone the sun that we are orbiting and all of the worlds beyond us. The creation speaks to us. God is saying, I made all this. I made you. And I love you. Are you hearing his voice? He's also speaking to us through our circumstances and different times where he has rescued us, different times where he has provided for us and helped us, different times where he has brought us to moments of such great joy and led us through such moments of despair. His voice is speaking to us through creation and through circumstance. And lastly, his voice is speaking to us through our conscience. Through our conscience. You see, the trouble is, is we start listening to other voices. We start listening to our ego. We start listening to the society around us. We start listening to the expectations of our friends or our family or the people we want so badly to impress and we stop listening to the voice that's inside of us, the conscience inside of us that is giving testimony that there's something empty inside of us. And that job won't fulfill it. That degree won't fulfill it. That relationship won't fulfill it. That party won't fulfill it. That there's something more. Jesus says his sheep hear his voice. And then he says, and I know them. I know them. You may be sounding like Jesus is speaking directly to you. It's because he is. He knows everything about you. He knows your suffering. He knows the things that have happened to you. He knows the things that cause you to walk around with so much shame. He knows, he knows the, the burdens that you carry that weigh you down because of your suffering. He also not only knows your suffering, he also knows your sin. He knows everything about you. We all try our best to try to paint this picture of ourselves for those around us, for them to like us and not really show them who we, who we truly are. Listen, Jesus knows who you truly are and still accepts you and still loves you and still wants a relationship with you. He says, my sheep hear my voice in verse 27. I know them. And then it says, and they follow me. They follow me. And maybe you're here and you have not been following him. In fact, you've been running from him. 
and you think you've run too far, you think that it's far too late. Listen, you haven't run too far and it's not too late. You can start to follow him today. Acknowledge to him that you have sinned, that you have broken his law, that you have run away from him. Believe by faith that he suffered and died for you on the cross and rose again to prove that it is finished and then commit to following him. He will be your shepherd. He will give you life that is abundant and also he will give you life that is eternal. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He promises eternal life. He says that they will never perish. They will never perish because he perished instead of us on the cross. And then he promises this security. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The thief may come to try to steal and kill and destroy, but he won't get at you because I am guarding you with my hands, those hands that are scarred with the nails from the cross on which he died to prove to you that he has forgiven you and that he loves you. You can have that relationship with him today. You can begin to live an abundant life. You can begin to live an eternal life today. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be speaking to each and every individual right now. I pray that my voice would become very quiet and that your voice would become very loud, that you would speak truth, God, that you would speak your love and your blessing on each and every individual here. I pray for anyone who feels far from you. I pray that you would draw them near as a loving shepherd goes after a lost sheep. So God, we thank you and praise you. Help us, God, to respond to this invitation that you have given to us to have our lives changed, to have abundant life and eternal life because you gave your life for us. God, we love you and we pray in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.